Hello and welcome to Grow Up Summer School, an APG Canada podcast where we give strategic thinkers and creative tinkerers opportunities to grow. I'm your host, Michelle Lee, and this week on the show, we will be talking about storytelling. The best strategists are natural storytellers. It's an important skill that we need to constantly hone. For the next few days, we'll be exploring this topic from all different angles, from how to inject mystery into your stories to how to find quiet, and today, how to be a better listener. Today, we're talking to Oscar Trimboli, author and host of Apple award-winning podcast, Deep Listening. And we hope you take a keen listen to today's show because you could be our lucky winner. If you are the first listener to email me at michelle at apgcanada.ca with Oscar's top five tips, I will send you a free copy of his book and listening cards. Just before we dive in, we'd like to give a special shout out to the team at Cossette for sponsoring this week's episodes. As one of Canada's leading strategy departments and supporters of strategic planning, they have shown a keen interest in continuing to help us foster and strengthen Canada's strategic talent. And for that, we thank you. Now let's get into the show. Oscar, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you here. Um, Terrific if you could please introduce yourself to our listeners, including your background, why this topic is so important to you, and then share your top five tips. I think it would go back to 2008. I'm sitting in a boardroom in Sydney with a video conference between Seattle, Sydney and Singapore. Uh, It's our annual budgeting process. And I'm a marketing director at Microsoft at the time. And it's a 90 minute meeting. And you can imagine uh, the global corporation is trying to get as much revenue from the local subsidiary as possible. And the local subsidiary, well, they're trying to get as little uh, budget as possible because they're trying to protect people's jobs at the end of the day. And at the 20 minute mark of this meeting, (laughs) my vice president looks me straight in the eyes across the table and says, Oscar, you need to stay behind at the end of this meeting. And uh, for the rest of the meeting, Michelle, the only thing I'm thinking about is how much money have I got in my bank account and how many weeks of cash flow have I got <laughs> left because I reckon I'm about to get fired. Tracy's mm-hmm. never said that to me before. Well, surprising to me and not to Tracy, the minute the meeting actually finishes at the 70 minute mark and everybody kind of leaves and all the video cameras shut down. Tracy asked me to close the door. She says, come and sit next to me. She goes, you have no idea what you did at the 20-minute mark, do you, Oscar? So, Michelle, the only thing going through my mind was I'm getting fired. I've got seven weeks of salary left, and I have no idea why I'm getting fired. Tracy looks me in the eye and says, Oscar, if you could code the way you listen, you could change the world. And in that moment of profound insight from my senior vice president, the only thing going through my head, Michelle, was, I haven't been fired. (laughs) Now, what actually happened in the meeting is I got a 32% uplift in my budget line. I was carrying the largest business unit in Microsoft at the time. And uh, I was like, right, I haven't been fired. I got a 32% uplift. And I, right, whatever, Tracy, listening. Yeah. So two weeks later, my chief financial officer, Brian, comes to me uh, a day before the Australian budget setting meeting process and said, Oscar, can you come and audit my listening? And I was like, Brian, you've been talking to Tracy about this listening caper because I got a 32% uplift in my budget and I haven't got time for this carry on. He says, Oscar, let me tell you, I know you got a 32% uplift in budget and I can't reduce that, but what I can do is help you with additional resources to try and get you closer to it. 
So if you come and audit my listening, then let's have a discussion about how we can support your budget. And being the uh, very target-driven leader that was, I would literally do anything for additional resources. Yeah, you want me to audit my your listening? I'll do that. So I did. I sat in a room of 26 other people watching how Brian asked questions, and I started to, oh, he, he asked really long questions. He, he asked double barrel questions. I'm not sure that people understand the questions. Gee, he interrupts a lot. There's 26 people in the room, but he only really listens to four people in the room. What are the other 18 people in the room doing? It's like, well, you know, what's going on here? And in that moment, 2008, I started to code how to listen and wind the clock forward. I'm now on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners in the world. Wow. Wow. And, and how's it going? How many have you created? Uh, we roughly, we, you know, we use it as a compass setting rather than GPS co coordinates. And, and yeah. we think we're at about 5.7 million so far. Wow. That people have heard, trained, got a keynote, listened to a podcast, watched a YouTube video, read a book, taken a quiz, uh, used the playing cards, played the jigsaw puzzle game. We're trying to get all these multiple expressions of the idea because most people can talk about wine or cheese better than they can talk about listening because, you know, they, they can talk about a fruity wine or they can talk about a deep red uh, or they can talk about a, a, a hard cheddar or, or, or they can talk about uh, soft cheese, but they can't use that language when it comes to listening because nobody's kind of got any formal training in how to listen. And so, you know, we've researched over 15,000 workplace listeners uh, through through the process of coding. And if Tracy was listening to me right now, she would say, yeah, Oscar, it's really good, but code, code. I need you to put it in software. I need it to be an app. I need it to be integrated into other software platforms. I need it to be integrated into Zoom. And I, I always got Tracy's voice in the back of my head, on the one hand, cheering me along. On the other hand, kind of pushing me to be the best version of myself. I think it's no coincidence that uh, I've had 15 managers in my workplace life, uh, yet 12 of them are women. And I don't think a man would have made the observation about my listening, if I'm completely honest, in that moment when Tracy was listening to a complex budget negotiation. Hmm. I, I, I am keen to hear how you define deep listening and what you've codified since then. And, and here I am asking triple barreled questions. Um, my third question is, what is it that you think she noticed about the way you listened back then? Ooh, finally. <laughs> I have a lot to learn. <laughs> no, the, the, the last question is great because I've, probably done over 250 interviews and I've probably mentioned that story in about a third of them and nobody asked the question you ask and that's the question that matters mm. and uh, I, I'm delighted you asked. So in that moment uh, at the 20-minute mark where everybody was fighting furiously over numbers, I just asked the group, do you mind sharing your assumption and then share your number. Mm. So it's about making the implicit, explicit in that moment. And all of a sudden, and it was ironic because we were getting compared to Canada, 
And uh, in, you know, there was a, a range of assumptions that were being made. And we simply pointed out the fact that, uh, you know, 90% of the Canadian population lives within 100 miles of the US border. Uh, and the trade across those borders, uh, we don't enjoy the same luxury. We are completely surrounded by water. And our ability to, to export terrestrially is rather limited. And as a result of that, I think people relaxed because they started to talk to their assumptions rather than fiercely trying to justify a number. And I think when you expose the foundations of your thinking, that brings the group to common understanding. So that, that's what happened in the moment. So I'm going to pause to see if you've got any questions on that, and then we'll jump back to your definition question. No, that's a really fascinating story. I, I like how you weave that in, and I'm, I'm interested to hear how that's become part of your codification of, of skills here. Mm. So back to the question, how do you define deep listening? So some people may have heard the phrase active listening. This, mm -hmm. this is a movement that kind of commenced in the 1970s, got really popular in the 90s. In, in workplaces and, and that meant you brought your attention and you listen really carefully to what people say. At deep listening is paying attention very carefully to what people don't say. Mm -hmm. So the difference between deep listening and active listening is active listeners listen to what people say, deep listeners listen to what people don't say. And let me give you a commercial break from the neuroscience of listening and why that matters. And uh, if you're mathematically inclined, you'll really enjoy this part. So I, I can speak at 125 words a minute. I can talk at up to 200 words per minute, and you can still completely understand everything we say. And we know that because people can listen to podcasts and YouTube channel and compliance training, but don't tell the compliance people, at up to two times speed and still fully understand it. Mm -hmm. But despite the fact I can speak at 200 words per minute, and you can retain complete comprehension. I think at between 900 to 1600 words per minute. Mm. That means the first thing that comes out of my mouth is roughly 14% of what I'm thinking. And if you're just dialoguing, having a conversation with the other person or a group with 14% of what they're thinking, little wonder there's conflict, chaos, confusion, misbriefs, or Worse still, you win a brief, but you didn't hear what the client really wanted. And mm -hmm. then you have really unprofitable work. You have teams working late hours. You have an unhappy chief marketing officer. That creates an unhappy CEO, and it's not a great client experience. Mm -hmm. So know this. If there's a difference between the speaking speed and the thinking speed of me, the speaker, you need to ask a few more questions to start to listen carefully to what people are not saying. It was, I was working with a client in 2014, agency side, and they had a really frustrating relationship with, with one of their clients. Their clients, Australia is the gambling capital of the world, Michelle. I'm sure you know this from your time in Australia. Mm -hmm. We we. We, we are the gold medalists in gambling and this client was, was working with a, a gambling brand and, and the, the client account exec, the planner and the CD went, went to the meeting with the client and the client had been a client for about two years, but the relationship was 
it was pretty tactical. It was transactional. Briefs were late. Briefs would come back and they said, no, that's not what I said. The team that was supporting the, the client was getting really run down. And working with a client, I said, what do you think the chief marketing officer is not saying? And they kind of rolled their eyes and looked at me. It's like, what are you talking about, Oscar? Mm. I don't know what they're not saying. They're just telling me what they're saying. Mm. I said, I suspect something's going on here that you're not even aware of. Mm -hmm. So I just said, next time you go in and you take a brief, just ask them at the 70% of the meeting mark, so 20 minutes into a 30-minute meeting or the 45-minute mark of a of a one-hour meeting, just ask them this question. Is there anything else we need to know? Mm -hmm. So they asked that at the next meeting and, and the client gave them some really interesting feedback that helped the brief a little bit more. And the production team came back with some really good work and all of a sudden the client got excited. And then they asked the question again, is there anything else? And I think by this stage, the CMO had got to a stage of trust and confidence with the team and said, since you asked, get me the hell out of here. This is the worst job of my life. I'm working for a psycho. <laughs> now, when you take the time to listen to what people don't say, and they're not going to do it the first time, it's going to take some relationship building, the relationship in that moment completely changed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the account exec said, do you want to discuss it now or should we make a meeting about this very topic? Mm -hmm. And the CMO, she said, I need to get it. I need to talk about it now. Mm -hmm. and, and, and she went through this absolute vomit of a, a toxic culture in that organization and this very combative relationship between finance and marketing. Mm -hmm. And the, the CEO was not playing a productive role in that. So they agreed. They agreed that the most potent thing they could do was build an award-winning campaign for the CMO so they could get the hell out of there. They could increase their visibility and get the job they love. Mm -hmm. And over the next six months, they did that. Twelve months later, they won an award. Eight months after that, the CMO left. Guess who the only agency was who got to pitch when the CMO went to a new organization? With a budget that was about four times bigger. That's mm. right. Mm -hmm. The agency that took the time to listen to the fact that they work in a toxic organization. Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to client agency relationships, too much time is spent listening about the campaign and not listening about the political environment inside the organization. And I think a good agency is, is client focused, but a great agency is focused on the client's customers and the client's customer's problem. So when you're listening at that level, that's when you're doing some deep listening at a systemic level for you, for your clients, and their customers as well. Wow. So so we were going to, you know, you were going to share in this session your your five tips. Is, is that your first tip? Listen to what's not being said? Tip number one, know the neuroscience. And when you do, mm. you will listen to what's not being said. So, okay. so here's, three, here's three questions you can use to listen to what's not being said. Tip, tip number one, or, you know, tell me more. Mm -hmm. And what else? And then the last one is, 
the most powerful one is is this is this so waiting for someone to fill that in is that <laughs> so is this so it was silence michelle it was silence. Oh, got it. Look, look at me. I, I have some work to do here. <laughs> so there's no, there's no coincidence that silent yeah. and listen have exactly the same letters. Mm-hmm. And in the West, we fill the gap. Now, normally I say we fill the gap, but we just saw a really elegant example of Michelle doing that. <laughs> I, I walked right into that. <laughs> but we also use phrases like the pregnant pause, the awkward silence, the deafening silence. Yet mm-hmm. in the East, in high context cultures, China, Japan, Korea, the Inuit of North America are really good at this. The use of silence is a signal to seniority. It's a signal to group cohesion. It's a signal to reflection and reflexive thinking. So thinking about how we're thinking. And I think if particularly in in an agency system, the pace is really quick. You know, Mm -hmm. we're Mm -hmm. we're shifting from client to client, we're shifting from campaign to campaign and context to context. Yet in that moment with that CMO in that gambling brand in Australia, the most important thing they asked is how else can we help? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because they felt that my tell me more and what else wouldn't work with a client. I said, that doesn't matter. You need to adapt that kind of question to what you think will be relevant to the client. So for many of us, just that moment to go, okay, if what they say the first time is only 14% of what they think, then just give them the space to say what they think. And Michelle, they'll give you the code straight away. If you're listening carefully, it will show up really fast. Mm-hmm. Their shoulders will go back. They will typically breathe out mm-hmm. and they'll say words like, actually, now that I think about it a little longer, mm, you know what? What we haven't discussed is, mm, you know what's really important to my boss? Mm, you know what's really important to my shareholders? You know what's really important to this policy outcome? They will use coded language like that, that, is a really big, bright, shining torch in a dark space to say, this is where we should be having the conversation. So Mm. if you're only listening to what people say, you'll miss all of that. And you just need to take a little bit of time to ask that question. Now, the ironic part of all of that, Michelle, meetings go quicker. Mm. We should actually talk about what matters, not a whole bunch of transactional stuff. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or the transactional stuff is really put into context really quickly and we can prioritize accordingly. All right. Well, well, tell me more then. I'm going to, what's, what's, what's number two? What else? Oh, you're, you're (laughs) honor me by, by listening and playing my own words back to me. Okay. So when, when we think about listening, it happens at five levels and most people think focusing on the speaker is the place to start. And that's interesting but it's not helpful, it's not productive, it's not powerful. The most important person you need to listen to in a conversation is you, and you need to listen to you before the conversation starts. So some people don't realize that listening happens before, during, and after the conversation. So before the conversation even starts, tip number two, listen to yourself. 
How do mm. you do that? Tip number one, manage your electronic notifications. I'm not mm -hmm. saying switch them off, but be conscious to switch them to a mode that's not intrusive for you and you can concentrate. And today, connected watches are actually the biggest villains in this mm. world, not just iPads and, and computers mm -hmm. or your cell phones. Mm -hmm. So tip number two, drink a glass of water before you commence a conversation and be drinking a glass of water every 30 minutes during a conversation. Hmm. Hydrated brain is a listening brain and brain consumes five, uh, is 5% of body mass, but it consumes 26% of blood sugar. Now, hmm. listening happens in the really modern part of the brain. And if you're not hydrated, you're going to struggle. You're going to say your head hurts. You're going to say listening is difficult. Yeah. This tip number three in that regard for level one listening is take three deep breaths before you go into a conversation. Mm -hmm. And when you're struggling to listen to someone during the conversation, you're distracted, you're off track, just take one deep breath mm -hmm. in through your nose, down to the bottom of your lungs and out through your mouth. Michelle, most people in the West don't know how to breathe. They typically breathe in through their mouth mm -hmm. and out through their mouth. Mm. Uh, uh, James Nestor has written a wonderful book called Breath where mm -hmm. he studies this in great detail. Yeah. Um, we're, we're half an hour in. I'm going to have a glass of water. Oh, good. I was just thinking about how my head hurts. <laughs> I must be dehydrated. <laughs> well, isn't that interesting? You're at the end of your day. I'm at the beginning of my day. Most people in the West are dehydrated by lunchtime. Mm. And they their their hydration strategy is Starbucks <laughs> or some kind of <laughs> caffeine. So, mm -hmm. so just keep keep that in mind. It's mm -hmm. these three things are really simple and really tactical. Mm -hmm. We've been tracking 410 listeners for the past three and a half years, and 86% of them say one of those three tips is the most important thing to improving their listening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Manage your electronic notifications, drink water, take three deep breaths because it gets you ready to listen. And level one is foundational. If you can't get yourself ready to listen, it's going to be really difficult to progress up the other levels yeah. of listening as well. Yeah. So there's tip number two listen to yourself. Tip number three, and this is at level two, the listening for the content. Tip number three is. Listen with your whole body, not just your eyes and your ears. Mm -hmm. Professor Mark Brackett from Yale has written an amazing book called Permission to Feel. And a lot of people say, hey, Oscar, how do I stop people being emotional in conversations? And I say, why would you do that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You want to process everything they're talking about. Emotion is actually a signal to what matters the most to them. Mm -hmm. So tip number three, uh, yeah, tip number three is make sure you hear, you see, and you sense. Mm -hmm. If you're on your cell phone while you're listening to someone, it is impossible for you to sense. Mm -hmm. When I say mm -hmm. sense, you'll notice the change in where their voice comes from. You'll notice an inflection. You'll notice a head movement that makes it incongruent with what they're saying or how they're saying it. So tip number three. Listen with your whole body. Make sure you're sensing where their emotions are coming from. Yeah. 
Okay. The next oh. the next tip is, is listen for the backstory. This mm-hmm. is a level three thing. Not enough people do this. Um, the Oscar award winning movie Slumdog Millionaire, filmed in Canada, um, it is amazing. But I could describe it two ways. I could say a quiz show contestant is being interrogated by the police. That's mm-hmm. one way to describe the movie. Or I could say Jamal and Salim lost their mum at the age of five in a Mumbai street riot. And as a result, they roamed the streets and fell into the hands of a gang. But there, Jamal met the love of his life, Ladaka, who loved watching the quiz show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. She loved trivia. Mm-hmm. Jamal got a job in a contact centre, and all of a sudden it made him the perfect contestant for Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. In mm-hmm. fact, too good a contestant. He answered too quickly, too accurately, and the host suspected that he was cheating as a result quiz show contestant is being investigated by the police. Mm-hmm. Now, with that backstory, you know so much more about the context of everything around you. And when you take a brief, most clients are briefing you and saying a quiz show contestant has been interrogated by the police. They're telling you about the most important thing in that moment for them. Mm-hmm. What they're not telling you is the context of how it came to be. Mm-hmm. And a skillful question here is, could you just take me back to when you first noticed it? Can you just take me back to when this project kicked off in your organisation? Can you take me back to how you first noticed this as a team, as a project, as an organisation? Mm-hmm. Who else is involved in this project up until now? Taking the time to understand the backstory, particularly from an agency view of the world, gives you a landscape of who's involved, not only in approval processes, but who can derail campaigns, brand refreshes, and anything else that you're working on as well. So the next tip is listen carefully for the backstory. Now, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a ninja move here where you listen for their backstory. And that is how they place themselves in the story. So often people, when they're talking about themselves in the story, they'll either make themselves the hero or the victim, or they'll make themselves somebody who's future looking versus looking at the past, or someone who's individually orientated or team orientated. So Mm -hmm. the backstory is a really powerful way to make sure you listen. Now, at the beginning, we talked about level four and how to listen to what's not said. And then at level five, we listen for meaning, not what they say, not what they think, but what they actually mean. And when you listen for what they mean, you will have the same experience as that gambling chief marketing officer. And Jennifer, just south of you, in fact, Michelle, in um, Ohio, told me this story where her Six-year-old son came home from school. Christopher, he said, Mummy, Mummy, we learnt math today. I learnt division. I learnt the three is half of eight. Now, Jennifer's running around her home looking after a whole group of young kids, and she thought, oh, I must have misheard him. She said, Christopher, honey, say that again. Now, what you don't know about Jennifer is she used to be a primary school teacher before she helped out to raise her kids. And Christopher says to her again, three, three is half of eight, Mummy. And and Jennifer puts her hands in her face and it's like, what are they teaching kids at school today? 
is half a vein. What planet are they coming on from? So she went to the cupboard in the kitchen and she grabbed the M&Ms and she got eight M&Ms and lined them up like little soldiers on the kitchen table, a row of four and then another row of four. She picked up Christopher off the floor and got him to stand on the table in front of this row of M&Ms and got him to count one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And in that moment, Jennifer explained, see, honey, four is half of eight, not three. With that, Christopher leapt off the table pretending he was Superman and he went to the uh, stationary cupboard and got a piece of paper and a, and a, and a Sharpie. And he drew the figure eight for his mum and said, look, mum, this is an eight. And he folded the piece of paper in half vertically and he tore it in half. And he said, see, Ma, three mm. is half of eight. <laughs> and I think too many people go into a conversation with a very fixed mindset that only their version of their training, their professional background, their history, mm-hmm. only four can be half of eight. Mm-hmm. But if you actually flip Christopher's eight again, you realize that zero is also half of eight. Mm-hmm. So do you listen in a world where four is the only answer or do you exist in a world where you're listening for zero, three, four? Because numbers don't really matter. What mm-hmm. matters is the meaning people make from the numbers. So when you're listening carefully for the meaning, meetings go quicker. Clients mm. are more satisfied and you're doing award-winning work because you're spending more time on the craft and less time in work-in-progress meetings. Mm-hmm. So there's my five tips. If you're sitting agency side facing crazy CMOs like me um, in, my, in my previous life, if you can start to listen to what they don't say, you will build loyalty that transcends any relationship you have with a client organization. And as that client moves to other organizations, they'll stay loyal to you because they know you're listening to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, those are some really powerful tips there. And I think what I heard in the last one was, um, well, what I wrote down was bias and assumptions. Um, being able to set those aside, I guess, and, and being open, as you say, to all possibilities. Yeah, which literally takes us back to my budget meeting where I asked everybody to make the implicit explicit, expose your assumptions so we can have a dialogue that's meaningful rather than just screaming at each other about the number. The number's too high. We don't have that budget. Okay, let's talk about the assumptions that sit behind that and we we get there quicker. And um, there's a wonderful uh, implicit bias online assessment you can do by Harvard. And uh, they've had well over a million people do this assessment. And I'd encourage everyone to Google the Harvard implicit bias assessment. And it's really insightful about where it's a multidimensional assessment tool to, to do that. And if you want to find out what gets in the way of your listening, you can take the listening quiz. Just visit listeningquiz.com. At seven minutes, you'll get a five-page report telling you what are the barriers to your listening and three quick tips about what to do about it as well. Hmm. I'm, I'm curious, um, just going back up to number three, listen with your whole body. Uh, you know, 
we're right now on some sort of platform. I can't see you. I've only got audio. Um, you know, it's a little bit better, maybe arguably when you're on a Zoom call or something and you can see someone's face. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you listen with your whole body um, in a remote work situation? Yeah, a lot of my clients don't realize that they have a primary listening orientation that's either auditory, what they hear, or visual, what they see. A lot of people don't know that they prefer to listen in either of those two ways. But Michelle, I'm curious, for you, have you ever had a phone call with one other person where you listen more carefully when you're on the phone than you would if you were watching them on a video? Yeah, I actually much prefer the phone and I've been trying to get more and more of my meetings actually done on the phone as opposed to Zoom because I do find that I can pay much better attention um, on the phone. And it also means I don't have to stare at a screen for hours on end. Mm. And when somebody emotion is present in a conversation when you're listening on the phone, do you find it easier to notice the change in their emotion when you're only listening on the phone? I think because I'm more focused on just their voice as opposed to having other distractions that I pay closer attention and so am more easily able to pick up on it if there's a change in their tone or inflection, as you say. Yeah. So it's ironic that if you take away the visual distraction, and mm -hmm. I would speculate that you're an auditory listener, mm -hmm. um, People can pick up on emotions much, much, much easier. Um, this mm. is one of the reasons and successes for podcast and radio as an intimate medium, because mm -hmm. you know you're in people's ears, and you can hear whether the voice is coming from here or whether the voice is coming from here. Um, mm -hmm. I said exactly the same thing both times, but if you were listening carefully with your whole body, you would have noticed that my voice moved much further down my throat in the second example than in the first. Now, mm -hmm. when it comes to Zoom and listening in uh, video environments, um, nobody said that you have to watch what people are doing for the entire meeting, or nor do you have to have your own webcam on. Give your eyes a rest, signal to the host, of course, that, um, hey, for, for this next part of the presentation or, or section, I, I'm just going to switch my webcam off because I'm finding X distracting or Y distracting. I think, again, make the implicit explicit. Um, there's a, fa a fabulous study done by Stanford called the Zoom Fatigue Index. Again, it's a really quick quiz for you to do. But number one, if you want to set yourself up for really good virtual listening, if you're the host, don't schedule a meeting to start at the top of the hour. Mm -hmm. Schedule your meeting at five minutes past the hour. Now, I've been doing this for pre-pandemic times and the clients always say to me, oh, my God, Oscar, thank you so much. I actually had time to go to the restroom. I had time to make a cup of tea. I had time to get a glass of water. And they're ready to start the conversation as opposed to them turning up physically into the space but mentally still in the last meeting. So when it, when it comes to virtual environments, um, number one, don't feel bound to have the video camera on to mm -hmm. schedule your meetings five minutes after. And then number three, if you do get distracted, which you will, I'll just give you a little uh, commercial break again on the neuroscience of listening. 
although I speak at 125 words a minute, you can listen at 400 words per minute. So you can listen four times faster than what I can speak. And as a result, you'll be distracted. When mm -hmm. you get distracted on a Zoom, uh, and, and the good news is they don't know you're staring. Mm -hmm. So when you get distracted on Zoom, stare at the speaker's eyes and see what color their eyes are. Mm -hmm. That will give you a great reset to go, oh, okay, their eyes are hazel. One is green. That's my eyes. I've actually got slightly different shades of color there. And, uh, and that act of reset will get you back in there. And remember, if you get fatigued, it's still back to those same things. Drink a glass of water, take three deep breaths, and you'll become more present in the space. But I think the tip that the clients consistently tell me makes the biggest difference is the scheduling mm -hmm. before the meeting starts. Set it up so that you can do it. Now, a lot of people say, oh, Zoom's one-dimensional or video's one-dimensional and it's not like real life. If you could see my background right now, you'd see uh, so many Yoda dolls that clients have sent me. I don't know why, because I've only ever watched Star Wars once, but they've seen the Yoda dolls in the background and they send me a thank yous. I've got a thank you there from Salesforce. I've got a meerkat. I've got all sorts of fluffy toys sitting in the background, but there's also a photo of me uh, sitting on the top of a mountain in Nepal. Uh, there's a photo of my wife and I at an event that meant something to me. And you get a really good insight into people if they're showing you their background. Now, if you're a leader, you're a host, and you're using the blurry background, here's my question. You might be hiding your background, but what else are you hiding in your leadership to your team? Mm -hmm. What else are you hiding in your leadership to your project? I think people value the authenticity of what's behind me more than they value the blurry, non-distracting non background. Michelle, are you a blurry background kind of person when it comes to video conferences or are you? No, no, I'm, I'm proudly, actually, my daughter's bunk bed has become part of my brand and it's proudly displayed there on all my calls. Uh, but I'm sitting at a little desk um, under her bed. Um, and I actually quite prefer the authenticity of, uh, where I am. Yeah. I, I, I was working with an organization in the middle of the pandemic and that every single leader on the call had the corporate background up as their background. And it was deep blue and mm. it had the corporate logo and everything was blurred out. And I said, <laughs> If one of the corporate values was authenticity, I said, I'm listening to your values right now. How authentic is the background? <laughs> and slowly over the workshop that we were doing, it was only two hours, the background started to change. Not everybody, but some brave, authentic souls. And then that stimulated, and we were working over a period of two hours once a week for four weeks. What came back the next week when we got on the call? Everybody had their background showing. And the level of connectivity between the group was completely different because one person up in a regional part of the country of the UK that they were in mentioned something about the history of the area and someone else said that their grandparents grew up there and off we went, an instant mm -hmm. connection. So mm -hmm. I think for all of us, um, what, are you, what are you hiding? 
Yeah. <laughs> Besides yeah. your background, I think uh, all of us, whether we're leaders in title or not, uh, I think we can all just show up in the conversation. And that means um, Zoom, this world that's not the physical world, just gives us a more human insight into who we are and who we're working with as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, um, I've been jotting down the notes. I want to make sure I capture the five uh, before we close. So I had know the neuroscience, listen to what's not being said. Uh, number two, uh, within the five levels, listen for yourself. So listen to you. Uh, you know, you, you gave some terrific tips in terms of electronic notifications, turning those off, keeping yourself hydrated, breathing. Uh, number three, listen with your whole body. Number four, listen for the backstory. And number five, listen for meaning. Yeah. Hopefully I've got listened and gotten them all. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us, um, Oscar. And, and where else can folks find you? I know you've got obviously your website, uh, your book, your cards, your podcast. Can you tell us where else we can uh, listen uh, some more? Look, I'd rather you listen to yourself. Take the time to visit listeningquiz.com and learn about your own listening. And uh, that'll start you on a journey if you want to stay connected with me. And uh, the listening quiz will give you a really simple uh, and easy to access tips around how to improve your listening. And I, I know we've also organized the little bonus for people listening on this episode too. Yes, yes. I'm going to uh, put that in the beginning, a little a little Easter egg treat. Um, <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll put that in um, again. OK, great. Thanks. Thanks so much, Oscar. Um, I guess it's daytime over there. So enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you for joining this week's episode of Grow Up. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share this episode and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts.